This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Have you ever felt like you want to not only live the principles of the one thing in your own life, but you wish you could live it in your organization as well? Maybe you have doubts about how you get your boss on board or if this can truly become part of the bigger corporate culture. It's something many of us wrestle with. Today's a case study of what it looks like to bring the principles of the one thing into a large organization. L'Occitane is a natural beauty brand from the south of France that was started in 1976, focusing on selling skincare, body care, and fragrances. Fast forward to today, they're in over 90 countries and on a mission to empower women around the globe. Our journey with The One Thing and L'Occitane started when their vice president of retail for North America, Shannon Greer, was on vacation in Hawaii. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. How did you come across the one thing? I was on a trip, a business trip, actually, that ended up being able to be a personal trip as well on Hawaii. Had to go visit our stores there. Horrible, horrible place to have to visit, I know, oh, but so someone tough. has to do it. So tough. I know, it's, it's, it's tough sometimes. Uh, and extended my vacation uh, while I was there for the trip. My husband joined me in Maui. My most favorite thing to do on vacation is to read. And I realized that uh-oh, I don't have a book with me to read. So I made him take the 45-minute-long journey from uh, <laughs> from Wailea to Lahaina uh, because it was the only Barnes & Noble on the island where I proceeded to find my amazing book that I was going to read, which was you know your typical beach read. So The Woman in Cabin 10 was a great read. My husband also enjoys reading but magazines where he likes to read them in the store. So after I'd finished my, my my selection, I approached him. He's standing there looking at magazines. I'm like, Rob, you know that you can buy those. You don't have to just read them here. They do sell them. <laughs> so he goes, oh, I'm only going to be a few minutes. So I wandered back to the business section where I found this book, The One Thing, setting eye level with me. And it was on the entire shelf across I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. So I pick up the front and there's the uh, part of the book. You want fewer distractions and less on your plate. The barrage of emails keep you from your most important work. And I remember audibly saying, yes, this is me. (laughs) (laughs) And it says, and you want more. You want more productivity from your work, more income for a better lifestyle. 
Yes, yes, I do. And you can have both. I'm like, this is fantastic. This can solve all of my problems and then some. So I picked up the book. Uh, I read it in like a day. And I uh, had a couple of revelations when I was uh, reading the book in relation to what was going on in both my professional life and my personal life. And that's kind of how the journey started. So I guess you could say thank you to my husband who was taking forever reading uh, magazines uh, because I feel like that book kind of found me at the right time. Mm -hmm. You mentioned there were a few revelations, personal and professional. What were some of them? Uh, I think looking at it first from the professional standpoint, uh, we had just gone through the budgeting process at work and had been given goals for what uh, we need to achieve in retail, both for the U.S. and Canada. And I personally felt like uh, they were they were smaller than I would have liked to have seen. And I think uh, based on the team that we had brought on board and the team that I've been working to build, we could deliver much more than the goal that we were given. And uh, you know, looking at the uh, the six lies, the one that really stuck with me was the big is bad because I think we haven't we and myself included in this hadn't been really placing myself to think bigger mm-hmm. to get to do bold actions to get a bigger result. And I think I had settled settled. I would say I had settled for some mediocrity, just being happy with being a little bit better than I was last year. Mm-hmm. And I think if you'd asked a my former self five years ago or eight years ago, I would have never been happy with that. Mm. And what what has changed? So I think that was my probably my biggest professional uh, revelation. That and there are definitely some things that uh, consume uh, my life in the office, which is the art of multitasking, which no one is amazing at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from a personal standpoint, uh, I think the idea of a balanced life, because I think that's the industry buzzword, and it's all about how do you have a more balanced life? And you see all the beautiful commercials of the person who's got their family, and they're going to yoga, and they go to work. Well, real life isn't like that. And uh, I think I've placed a lot of premium on what I've been doing in my career. And that's I've let some relationships suffer with my my mom, my sister, my husband. And I I feel like I could really relate to that uh, story of the begging bowl. And I was a bit that person. Mm-hmm. And as I started to think about it too, that's not who I wanted to be. And I had fallen into this place, not really on purpose. It's like the, the idea that you're kind of sinking slowly and then you look around and you wonder, how did I get here? But there was a clear reason of why I got where I did. And it wasn't bad from a professional standpoint, but I'm sacrificing a, a lot of relationships outside of there in order to do what I was doing. Mm. So you lay on the beach in Maui, you read this book, you have all these revelations, you go through the lies, you learn about time blocking, you <laughs> go through the four thieves, and then you realize... Now I got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. What did yeah. it start looking like for you to live it? And then what did it look like to now as the leader of the organization over North America to cascade it down 1,300 people? Yeah, I think um, where I really started was really thinking about uh, the focusing question. What is the one thing that I can do such that by doing it will make everything else easier or unnecessary? Boom, you nailed and- it. <laughs> I've said it a few times, I think, maybe. <laughs> but I think that's that's really what it sounds so simple. But if you really can find out that answer and you find that first domino, that's where you can see true productivity. And so I started really prioritizing my calendar and what I was doing that way. Because it's so easy to open up the inbox, 
The emails fly in. I answer them in the order in which they're received, just like the call waiting. Uh, the uh, little uh, box pops up. You have a new message. Oh, let me open that one. And I was living like that all the time. And I started to realize that I had let other people's priorities dictate what I was working on. And if I'm going to lead a team of 1,300 salespeople to achieve results, that's not an effective way to, to manage my time. And I'm not being the right leader for them. So that's, that's kind of where I started and learning to say no to some meetings that I need to be going to. What did that look like? Because everybody uh, that we've come across when we start talking to people who live in a corporate space, they're afraid to say no. Yeah, it's not easy. And uh, I think that's where I fell into that bucket too with uh, sacrificing my personal life because I was hashtag overcommitted. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it started to be, okay, so can you tell me asking the question? So what's the objective of the meeting? What would you like to achieve in this? Okay, I've got some things that I have to work on. Uh, is there someone else that could go in my place? And starting to delegate more to my team members, which I think empowered them as well because they know they're trusted to do something. Mm-hmm. I don't have to control everything. It's going to be okay. <laughs> what did it look like the first time you shared this with your team? Was the conversation pushing it down the chain or was it going up? Mm, I think they heard... We he, we did touch bases every week, and they started to notice that the questions became very different in the touch base. It used to be, okay, so tell me all the problems that you have that you need me to help you with. <laughs> was usually what it was like, and where are you going this week? And you know, what are your what are your sales goals? And then it became more of okay, so let's look at what you need to get done this week. And then a lot of questioning, is that really the most important thing that you need to be doing? So if you get that done and you don't get anything else done this week, you're going to feel really accomplished. And that's where it started going. And they started to pick up on that the conversation sounded very different. And it was a lot more of me question asking versus just helping them problem solve because they had the capability of solving their own problems. Mm, And how long did it take before you put them in a position where they realized they need they didn't even have to bring the problems to you because you actually taught them how to think. I would say it took a little while because I probably started my journey in January when I was out for these visits. And then probably towards the middle to end of February, they were picking up on some things. And that's when I introduced them to the book. Mm-hmm. I told them about it. And um, I brought some of my leadership team to an offsite meeting. And I uh, introduced them to the six lies and the focusing question. And uh, we talked a lot about the, the success habit and what we wanted to do. And I think they became really, um, really inspired by some of the productivity they were already seeing because we were having different conversations. And we all agreed, wow, this is pretty powerful. Imagine if. We could get all of our store teams focused on these same things and, and speaking the same language. How, how much more productive could we be? And that's when we came up with setting a goal that was a very large double-digit increase, which was quite a bit higher than the, the task I was given at the beginning of the year mm. because they believed they could do it. But if we were going to do that, we had to change the way we worked. And what we did every day needed to truly be the things that are going to have the biggest return on investment. What is the one thing that I need to be doing right now? 
trying to get inside the mind of your people when you first read the book and you start discussing the concepts. Was it at first doubt, like there's no way we can do it? Was it first a matter of excitement in terms of what's possible? What did that look like? I think it was a little bit of both. I think there were certain certain pieces they really identified with. Um, the idea of multitasking being bad. The, uh, the idea of thinking bigger. I got challenged quite a bit on... Um, the idea of counterbalance, mm. because we're supposed to be a, a well-being brand, and we have to have balance. But you know, I, I think continuing to talk to them more about when you look at the the actual slide that shows the you know balance life, work life at the extremes, and then the counterbalance, yeah, showing them that work life in the middle, but putting up like a person. Have you ever seen the person that just works exactly nine to five? They maybe don't accomplish anything super exciting at the end of their day, but they have a balanced life because they got off at five o'clock. They went to their yoga class. They watched their Netflix. They had their Netflix and chill moment, but they're not progressing anywhere in their career at the moment. They're not maybe necessarily doing anything on their personal standpoint that was important to them, but they have balance. And I think that's that's kind of where we started taking that. And I think when you can can look at each of those graphs, everybody can identify with a person that is there. And the the idea for people who maybe haven't seen the graph, the idea is that um, when it comes to your personal life, you can never go too long without being involved in the things that matter most. It's not like you can say to your significant other, "Peace out, honey. I'm going out of town for 72 days because I'm going long on travel." Yet, so you always got to be touching the things in your personal life that matter most on a regular basis. You're staying short there. And you go longer in your professional life. Big blocks of time for your most important priority. So all that 80% stuff, you don't have to touch as often because the truth is it's going to fall through the cracks and it's okay. The world doesn't stop spinning. No, I, I think those were those those were the ones that were like, yeah, right. We can't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like, oh, I'm a believer. Let me shout it from the rooftop, right, from the very beginning. But I think um, for the most part, everyone was was quite inspired about this new way of thinking. What happened next? So after the meeting, I think we all agreed that if we were going to get different results, we had to behave differently. And in order to do that, we needed to get the entire team speaking the same language, using the same uh, systems and models. And we were going to roll it out at our roadshows. We typically do uh, a roadshow once a year, usually in April, which is when our financial year starts. Whereas when you talk about counterbalance, this is the ultimate test. You're literally on the road for an entire month doing meetings, the same meeting over and over and over uh, with multiple teams across uh, the two countries. So we decided to roll out the the big uh, high-level overview of the six lies, the focusing question, and introducing uh, the weekly 411 tool. So to recap, you come across it personally. You start to identify where you have opportunities in the professional world, the personal world. You share it with your leadership team, the people who report to you, and then you push mm-hmm. it down throughout the road shows. Mm-hmm. What happened that really surprised you? Uh, I think what happened that really surprised me 
was starting to get different uh, communication, if that makes sense. In conversations that I'm having with the store manager team, even saying, you know, I'm so glad that you shared this with me. And I had to put some of the context and in the scenarios that they work with on a daily basis to, to bring it home. You know what? You're right. I do that. I've, I've been multitasking all the time and I have made some mistakes or, uh, you know, I've never really thought about uh, turning my to-do list into a success list. I love a to-do list and I feel like I'm accomplished, but frequently I'm not getting the work done that uh, was the most important thing on there. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to see that, but not only the conversations, we saw it in the results almost instantaneously um, because for myself, being the funnel from HQ to the store teams, making sure that they weren't getting stuff that was just noise, mm-hmm. things that were distractions that were going to keep them from their internal customer and their external customer. And we delivered the goal that I set up originally that I gave my team. And my uh, my fellow leadership team, the executive team, they were actually, to be honest, they were shocked we were hitting the numbers. Right. We hadn't seen results like that in years. Which which to, to give people some context, the initial goal that you were handed was to maintain last year's numbers, just to keep the business even. What yeah. happened? Uh, two weeks after the road shows were over, uh, we have a new clean slate. We had some great, uh, you know, some great marketing initiatives that we're working on, but really for the most part, the the set of cards we were dealt is pretty similar to the last year. You're only talking about weeks ago. Yeah. We were year to date at that point, we were up 14%. Whereas the year before, we were negative and we hadn't seen a sales increase in two years almost. What do you attribute that to? Living it. Uh, and that's where I think I was able to be really clear. I remember studying in Washington, D.C. It was on my second roadshow. I had rolled out uh, the first presentation uh, in, uh, in the city before. And I sat down with that GPS form. And I said, said how am I going to really deliver this number if I'm going to get there? And for me, my one thing that I could do was to live, embed, and teach the one thing. So everything I started doing was coming from that. Okay, how how do I embed this? And I don't know if it's like this in a lot of other industries, but in retail, we we are agile. We we pride ourselves on being flexible. We pride ourselves on being able to change quickly. And I frequently joke uh, with the team, you know, the only thing constant in retail is change. Well, change is great and it can be impactful. But what happens is we would frequently roll out training pieces and it was like flavor of the day. Oh, this is a great flavor of the month. And you don't take time for something to embed. And I was fully committed that this, we're going to live the whole year and it's not flavor of the month. And so I started sending out weekly one thing emails to uh, updates to my team, reminding them of concepts, using the language every time I spoke on visits, uh, pulling out the forms, setting down with the teams on store visits even. Let's look at Let's look at your GPS. Let's do this together. And I think because I was so committed to it and it it just had that trickle-down effect. Well, this isn't going away. This isn't the flavor of the month. And I think as soon as they started to see some traction, everybody was like, okay, well, this works. Let's what, keep going. We know oftentimes when we come in and work with corporations like yours that um, employees are surprised. They're surprised that leadership would bring principles to them that 
don't just say work hard, but actually say, no, we care about you as a whole person. And we don't want you just to work and grind and burn out. We want you to have a full productive life. What type of feedback have you gotten from your people since you initially rolled it out? Um, I've gotten quite a bit of uh, personal thank you notes and and feedback when I've been in person, but a, a lot of thank yous that surrounded themselves of, you know, thank you so much for really talking about uh, introducing me to the book and talking about counterbalance and about personal goal setting. Um, because I've reengaged with the charity that uh, I was that I had let go. I've picked back up on my exercise plan that was my uh, New Year's resolution that I fell off quickly, mm-hmm. and I realized that. Maybe I was being a bit hard on myself and you do have to give it 66 days sometimes to create a habit. Um, And it was a lot of conversations like that. And I think uh, a lot of people feeling um, empowered to have different conversations as well, that it is okay sometimes to say, this isn't my priority. And it's not that I just want to say no, but it's just not right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm putting myself in the listener's shoes and and thinking, okay, um, I know what it looks like to start implementing this myself. That's awesome. I get how I can start to push it down to my team, yet that's not the whole organization. And oftentimes people look up and they want to make this a full cultural adoption and they're not quite sure how to. What did that look like? Well, I I did convince uh, my managing director for North America to buy the book. I may have sat with her and pressed order (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> on her uh, on her phone that day, but it was introducing the book to to the others. But also, I knew I had an opportunity uh, coming in this past October, uh, where we had our uh, our big sales conference that we have annually, and the executive team is always there because it's the it's the biggest initiative to drive sales for the holiday period, which is critical if you're in retail, and. I wanted them to not just hear it from me, me being the only influence, but also to have uh, yourself come. So thank you for being there, Jeff. And uh, you guys were a riot. (laughs) And introduce the leadership team, uh, maybe in a language that might even speak even more to them than I have. Because at some point, you don't want to be the annoying Matt who's just saying, hey, you should do this. So I was strategic about <laughs> about the table that I set myself with uh, when we did this that day, and it was then all the sea re- level. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think it was important. If we're going to all get the results that we want, we all have to be working together on the same common goals. And I think it's really sparked a lot of great conversations uh, with with my uh, my chief marketing officer, with our chief commercial officer about you know what we're doing in the direction that we're moving in. Mm-hmm. And even for them having some personal revelations that wow, you know, this is pretty powerful. And we could we could all be doing more to help our teams prioritize and doing the work that's most important. So what does this look like? Because I mean, you guys are a large organization. You're in how many countries? 90 countries. 90 countries. You're over all of North America. I mean, I I understand you're in that position where you can really push it down, but now you've also got to sell it up. What were some of maybe the limiting beliefs that senior leadership, C-level realized that they might have had that, you know what, there's opportunity here. But I think when we started talking about the 411 and putting things by priority, I think they realized that we frequently make this giant list of things mm-hmm. and we don't look at them again until, I don't know, mid-year reviews or at the end of the year. 
And we set the objectives at the beginning of the year. And what's so powerful about using the 411 is that is in your face every week, every day, depending on how much you use it. And it's not something that was sitting on a performance review and filed away until six months later when you go, oh, look, we're, are we on track to make our goals? Yes or no? I think that was a big revelation. So just a matter of declaring what your priorities are and then revisiting them and yeah. asking the question, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. But not waiting so long to do it, but it's yeah. getting looked at every week and every month. Mm-hmm. I think that was big. And just for my own boss, I decided, you know, I'm not going to force any tools on anyone. It's up to them if they want to use them. I find them powerful. Here's how I've used them. I've started sending, I started sending her my weekly 411, even though she didn't ask for it every week. So what does that look like? (laughs) She wrote me a letter actually yesterday, an email that said, Shannon, thank you so much for sending this every week. It reminds me that I need to prioritize myself and getting this done. And I really like seeing what you're working on every week. And you guys are truly working on your priority. I'm putting myself in the shoes of the person who's the employee. Mm -hmm. They're not maybe the manager or anywhere close to the senior leader. And they want to do this, yet they have limiting beliefs about it. They're not sure how it will be received. Talk to them a little bit about that. Uh, I think we all sit in that place where you question, is someone going to listen to what I have to say? But you also have to, to have a pretty good knowledge of you know, who's open to hearing things, who, who do you know is going to listen? And who are the people you know maybe, mm, they may have some doubts, but they might be open. And who are the people who would just shut the door? And hopefully we don't have a lot of shut the door people. Um, and I think you have to start with the ones that you know that you can kind of get on board and get the movement going, who who are open to new ideas and, her, and you have a, a good working relationship with. Because there are safety in numbers. And what do you mean <laughs> the by more- that? I think the more people that you can kind of uh, get to join your cause, you know, if, it, if it's rolling out the one thing or if it's getting a project done or, you know, getting something completed at work, it's important to kind of know what the, the political landscape is, if you will, in, yeah. in your office or at your, at your job. Yeah. But I also love, it can be as simple as getting them the book. I mean, that's yeah. what you did with your boss, Maddie, right? Exactly. Just get her to go through the concepts on her own and have her own experience with it. Yeah, agreed. Because you don't want to be the person who's just pushing stuff at someone. Sometimes uh, that's not so well received. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, now we can go into the idea of your mind as, as a senior leader. You want the best for your people, right? Absolutely. Is there any way you succeed without them succeeding? No, we definitely don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my question for the, the person who's listening to this who wants to introduce the ideas but has limiting beliefs around it is how does you introducing the concept help that leader get what they want? What's in it for them? Well, and that's what we all have to answer is there has to be something in it for them. Um, I think if they start to see results, obviously there's something in it for them. Yeah. But um, just the sheer productivity. But when they see people being able to achieve things that were actually on their former to-do list and stuff is getting done and getting done much faster than they thought it would, it will it will create that ripple effect that you want quite quickly. I think that's really good counsel because it's it's easy to get stuck inside your head about things that maybe are not 
within your direct mm. control, but what every single one of us can control is our mm-hmm. actions, our mm-hmm. results. Yeah. I would just challenge you. How do you be the shining example? How do you live this to such a high standard that your results are extraordinary and people cannot help but look up and say, what are you doing differently? Yeah, and I think that's, that's how we were able to, to move this a, a bit quicker. But you, you have to live it and you have to realize it's not going to happen overnight. And it can't be the flavor of the month if you're truly committed to getting great results. Yeah. And it has to be embedded. So out of everything we've talked about here today, Shannon, out of everything that you've learned over the past year going on this journey for yourself and bringing this to the organization as one of the leaders, what's the one thing someone listening to this can do such that by doing it would make living this inside their organization easier or unnecessary? I, I, for me, I think it was just sharing it. Hmm sharing it with everyone that was open and to listen, listening to it, and then making sure that I am, I live what I say I'm doing. Mm. You have to be the shining example of what you wish to see. I love that. Well, Shannon, where can people learn more about Loxiton? Uh, they could visit a store near them, which we'd love to invite everyone in for uh, a great experience. Uh, we have uh, 200, about 240 locations between the U.S. and Canada. So if you visit uh, www.loxiton.com, you can find uh, the boutique nearest you or you can ex- get your first experience right online. Yeah, and that's L. O-C-C-I-T-A-N-E. And we'll include that link in the description below. You're going to be like, oh, that's that store that I couldn't pronounce the name of. (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Shannon, um, I just want to acknowledge you for first and foremost, um, a lot of people have read the book. A lot of people have listened to the podcast and... um, you're just the type of person that you grabbed it and didn't just make a commitment to living it yourself, but you're spreading it to thousands of people. And that makes a huge difference in their lives. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Yeah, I'm so happy that I found the book or the book found me, whichever way you look at it. But uh, it's truly made an impact in in my life, uh, personally and professionally. And I want everybody to be able to see those same results. So for me, it's like uh, like we say in the beauty world. If I found the most amazing beauty product that is great, I would not be doing you a dis- I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't show you. So it, for me, it's like sharing that beauty secret. Well, this is a life secret. Yeah, love it. Well, there you have it, our conversation with Shannon Greer, the Vice President of Retail for North America for L'Occitane. This has been a truly rewarding journey. As someone who's a student of the one thing, you know how good it feels when you start living the principles, when you start to have clarity on what your one thing is and actually start to live your one thing. When you start to then turn around and empower others to live it, especially if it's in a team setting, is when you really start to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment with this. It's been an honor to get to work with L'Occitane and Shannon and to watch the impact it's made with her people. Getting the chance to come together and lead workshops with teams like Shannon's team is some of the most fulfilling work we do because we're face-to-face. And to be able to introduce ideas where 
It's not about working harder. It's actually about being as efficient and as effective as possible during the hours you choose to work and in a pre-prescribed time, you shut it down and you live your life. To be able to have leadership stand up there to tell their people that we want you to have clarity on what your one thing is. And if we're asking you to do something that's not your one thing, this is what we'd like you to say. Imagine how you'd feel if your leadership said that to you. And for those of you who are leaders, imagine how your people would feel if they felt like you were the type of person who truly respected them enough to have insight into what mattered most and that you would help them get those things done first and shield them from all the other noise that stopped them from getting what they want. This is all part of our journey to changing the way that we as humans view time. Too many of us go through the world passively spending our time, wasting it on the things that don't actually matter. And we wonder why we look up at the end of the day and wonder if we even get anything done. It's shifting that to the point where we as individuals and we as leaders inside organizations change the status quo so that the new norm is that we invest every single second like it's our most valuable resource because it is. It all starts with you. It starts with how you live it. Whether you're an employee in the cubicles or the owner of the business or a Fortune 500 executive, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? How can you live this to the highest level possible for yourself personally? And how can you begin to share these ideas. We hope that you will consider sharing this episode with someone in your organization as a way to begin the dialogue. Maybe you're doing what Shannon did and pulling the book up on the computer and literally pressing buy so that they can go on their own journey of self-discovery around the one thing. And if you're interested in having us come into your organization, you can go to the onething.com slash training and learn about all the ways we can support your organization with the one thing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If it has helped you, please, please share this with someone. And if you're that person that someone shared it with, consider subscribing to the show. Just press that subscribe button on your screen. All future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if this episode has made an impact for you, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It helps us reach more people. It's also a great way for us to know what's working so we can do more of it for you. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.